Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect like the, the policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science episode number 123. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always, the dude out in Pennsylvania, Mike McLeod. What's up, buddy? And the dudette, all the way out in Kansas, Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. Hi, guys. Guys, we are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network, and I'm excited because today we're going to talk ethics of private practice and also uh, the impact masks have. But before all of that, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you, the listener. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can also give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Hashtag it up, sspod. uh, Hashtag sspod. We also have discord.speechsciencepodcast. Did I miss anything? Oh, Facebook and Twitter, too. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, you're in charge yeah. of the Twitter, Matt. So <laughs> I barely, I am getting so far behind on all of that. So it's, it's crazy over here. So I do apologize. But before we dive in, let's find out what we've all been up to. And I will start before the madness of my children come running down the hallway to get ready for bed. Uh, it's been a super crazy week. We had a baby sprinkle shower today, but it was a drive-by. So I had to oh, set up a tent. Oh, you mentioned that last week, right? Yeah. I had to set up a tent and so then tell, I left. I think most people might know, but tell them what a sprinkle is because that was a new thing I just learned in the last couple of years. So the baby shower is for your first kid. That's where everyone goes, oh my gosh, you don't have a walker. You don't have, or a, a walker. You can tell I've been working with adults. You don't have a stroller. You <laughs> they don't make have... kid toddler walkers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You don't have a stroller. You don't have a seat. You don't have a shirt for a child. 
And then the sprinkle shower is like, hey, you have a bunch of boy stuff. Now you're having a girl. So maybe you need some things that a girl baby might like or vice versa. So we did the drive-by version and of that And not today. just gender-wise. Right. We've done them before for friends for a second or third kid just to you know, give them diapers and wipes and all mm -hmm. the basics that you need, but just to help with some of that upfront costs yeah so my wife ran her or my mother-in-law and my wife and my mom all did the sprinkle drive-by with me setting up the tent and then i left took the boys uh fishing with my uh my dad uh my oldest caught three more fish today i caught two and my youngest caught one but then the line broke so i still count that as a caught fish he got it stuck on a twig right at the shoreline and then just heaved it out of the water and the line snapped and the fish swam away with a hook in its brain so i'm sure that went over well for him and his little fish buddies <laughs> fishing um, is the best right it was so relaxing it was a lot of fun uh and then the other thing i need to tell you guys about have you guys heard of this like making a OneDrive or a google drive for family photos to share um, family photos mm -hmm. yeah i've heard i've heard of like there's also like google photos like you, yes. don't, you don't have to use OneDrive or Google Drive. You can just do Google Photos. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I had not heard that. I, someone sent me a family album uh, app today as well. But it's a, it's a really good app to have because then you're not taking up all the space on your phone with your pictures. No. You can just have them saved to Google Photos. Well, so the idea with this, though, Mike, was the idea is that I give you access to the Google Drive or the, the OneDrive. Uh-huh. And then every time you take a picture of my kid, you upload that photo into that drive. Uh. Or if you want to get photos from a family vacation, and this is more for like sharing it with like your siblings and your parents. But like if you all go trick-or-treating, everyone can upload the Halloween photos into the Halloween drive. And then everyone can download them from that drive. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Not bad. You can share it with family and friends. Say that again, Michelle. You can share it with family. and I love having a way to share that stuff with family and friends. Yeah. So like my mom's big on like sending pictures through text message. And then she wants us to send her those. And then she prints off the image from the text message, looks, which looks like garbage. <laughs> and the idea with this is that it keeps like all the high rev res resolution of the photos. So that's good. That, Google, that Google's onto something, man. They, hey, might, they might make it. They might make it. Speaking of people that might make it, Mike and I may sound super tired, but mm -hmm. Michelle has time traveled an hour into the past. Time traveled. If you're a listener, you're going to say, oh my gosh, Michelle, you sound so much more clear. I bet all your stuff has been delivered. How's moving into the new house? Do you or notice the, new, the boxes behind me? The new home, me? I should say, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, we're doing well. I would say we're probably 75% of the way unpacked, but that's impressive. Uh, still have, uh, you know, figuring out where things go because it's a totally different house setup than what we've been in before. But, um, yeah, we're doing well learning, learning our neighborhood, learning the town and finding some neat places to try meeting new neighbors. We went so are to the you... pool today for the first time, mm. which most places they're not even open but it was great the one just down the street from us they did an hour reservation with limited capacity for Ooh. families and with a two-year-old an hour was perfect that's so, all you need with a two-year-old now are you guys in military housing or do you guys get off-base housing that you find on your own 
Um, we we could do either, but we opted because this is a short assignment. We're only here for a year. So I will be moving again somewhere next summer. I don't know where yet. And You are hoping for that interstate compact, aren't you? I really am. I really am. But I need it to come a lot faster than it is. <laughs> like, um, states of America, you have 10 months to get five more states to sign on. Michelle yeah. needs you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we are living on the army base right now. So we are in an army base housing. It's, it's just a house. We're in a yeah, duplex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and Michelle, you and I are both from the Cincinnati Dayton or like Cincinnati Dayton, Columbus area. And we both spent time around Dayton. I've seen the military housing near Wright Pat. I know what it looks like. It looks nice. It looks like a house. Yeah. Their houses. <laughs> it's pretty standard. <laughs> there is a joke that air force bases tend to have nicer housing than, do you think really? Um, than some of the others, but uh, no, they're all nice. Oh. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I know there are stories, um, stories of bad housing situations, mm-hmm. um, and there are, you know, there's remediation they've had to do with lead paint and old housing at different bases. But um, and we're in an older house this time around, but we're only here for a year, and it's uh, it's smaller than what we've been in before, but it's kind of perfect for our small family right now. So I was. I was really surprised. My wife's uh, aunt took me on a tour of the Admiral houses down in Virginia one time. And that was really cool to see. Well, those will be pretty nice because Admirals are up there. Yeah, they look like little like <laughs> mansions. I was like, oh, that, that must be nice. And they're like, and yeah, I don't, when I don't one know, leaves, they move up and all this. I don't know Navy ranking, but I know that's pretty far up there. But yeah, I, at least I feel like if someone has spent, you know, 20 plus years in a career they in the civilian world would probably have a pretty nice house as well so i think they should be in a nicer house yeah they will we'll give the admirals a break and let them have a nice house mike how is time on the golf courses and uh doing all that you do uh time is good uh (laughs) played a played a nice 36 holes yesterday with my friend it was a good time uh getting slowly better going from terrible to competent uh, so it feels good, you know, that, that little bit of progress always feels, feels really nice. And it's just great to get outside. It's like the perfect social distance sport and, uh, you're out there and you're chatting it up using your speech communication skills with everybody. And just, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a nice, it's a nice way to kind of get away from the, uh, the mundane that we to get myself out of my basement, which I'm currently in. Uh, and I spend my entire life in, in front of my computer. So I've never been to Philly. Do you have to go more towards like the suburbs? Because like I know in da- like in Cincinnati, we've got a couple like city courses, but the good courses are out near the suburbs. Is that kind of how it is in Philly? Yeah, there's some fairly close to the city. Most of them are in the burbs. There's a lot in South Jersey I go to. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot within a like a 25 mile radius. Very cool. Yeah. Mike, if you want to come visit me in Kansas, we have a golf course uh, two blocks away from my house. Oh, is I'll it be... all of Kansas a golf course? It just I'll flat. be there. <laughs> Actually, this, wherever we are right now is pretty hilly. Is it we really? We tried to go for a walk around the other day, and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, I got some hills here." Actually, so a real question: like with all the the crazy that happened in Iowa, and and shout out or like our hearts go out to everyone still recovering out there. How close was that to you guys out that way? Um, we really didn't get. I'm grateful we didn't, but because I know it's especially Chicago and 
you know, anywhere west uh, and north of us, I think, got hit a little further, a little harder. But um, but I'm right at Kansas City. I'm in far, far east. Okay. The farthest east you can possibly be in Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that uh, yeah, our our hearts go out to them as well. Everyone out there recovering. I saw. I didn't realize this. Iowa was like the number one producer of wheat, chickens, and pigs for the entire United States. I didn't know that either. That's insane. Yeah. So speaking of shout outs and due processes, we do have those on today's show. We're also going to talk about ethics and mask wearing. And Michelle, what is our big old interview for today? The long anticipated interview, a large group interview with the U.S. Public Health Service speech language pathologist, um, many of whom. So this interview I did several months back. It was before all the lockdown and shutdowns uh, due to COVID-19. Um, when I had a chance to interview a lot of the uniformed speech language pathologists from the U.S. Public Health Service. And it's a couple part interview, so you'll get to hear from people in clinical roles and in non-clinical roles, um, some of whom were also deployed or activated, as they call it, to go to COVID um, hotspots, especially early on when there were pop-up clinics happening different places like in New York. So there you go. Very cool. We look forward to that. But we have SS Pod shout out. It is your opportunity to recognize somebody or something doing something super awesome in our field. And we will recognize them on the show. This week's SS Pod shout out is from Nancy Jean. Uh, she uh, links to the Bitmoji speech and language virtual rooms, uh, basically, a way to help you create your digital classroom. So that's Pretty awesome. Have you guys done any Bitmoji stuff? Nope. <laughs> I have not, but I like seeing people's classroom setups. Yeah, I like I other. I like other people's. Other people's are cool. If I did it myself, I wouldn't like it. See, I think the Bitmoji stuff to me is like the Sims video game, where like people talk about the Sims, or you'll see a video on like a Reddit of someone playing the Sims, and you're like, that looks really fun. And then about 10 minutes into it, I've walled my sim off into the swimming pool waiting for them to drown. So, Okay. <laughs> that's just, I get bored All with right. it. And I'm like, give me something exciting. Uh, on the flip side, okay. Michelle, don't give me that look. I get bored with sims. Have, didn't you ever play the sims? I The only time I played was old school, like on the computer. Yes. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mike, did you ever play the sims? The only way I played was old school, like on the computer. Am, am I am I the only <laughs> psychopath that like would wall the crazy neighbors in that they would die in the walls of your house and then haunt your home? <laughs> I just remember purposely and setting up like a, a little city urn. with no roads, like just train tracks or just. Oh, you're yeah. talking about Sim City. Oh, I'm talking yeah. about the Sims. Like, I would invite the neighbors oh, over. I never did Sims. I did the would... old school Sim City. <laughs> And then I would build the walls around them so that they would be stuck in the walls. And then my house became like a funeral parlor. I was more of a uh, roller, coaster, of roller coaster <laughs> tycoon guy. Psychopath in those games. Oh, yeah, I did like Railroad Tycoon too. Anyways, on roller the flip side. Oh, roller coaster. Okay. On the flip side of the shout out, we have due process. Uh, SS Pod due process. That's your opportunity to bring something to the Court of Appeals or the Court of Public Opinion where we get to discuss your topic and decide where you live if you're right or you're wrong. And this week, based on my 
deep dive into the TikToks, we got an anonymous tipster asking, what is our opinion on Inspiro porn in TikTok? And Inspiro porn, if you all remember, was where we kind of share videos of people with disabilities doing really awesome things to get the likes and make ourselves feel better. And this person has a really good point. There's a lot of Inspiro porn on TikTok. The phrase Inspiro porn is just so weird. It is. I agree. Well, <laughs> and it's the idea so that you're, strange. it's like that inspirational thing and you're watching it to feel better or putting it out there for people to watch your video to make you feel better. Yeah. Well, Matt, you are the most versed on the TikTok yes, world. Yes, I am. Sure are. Um, and so what is so it? I'm not, I'm not sure how prevalent this is. I mean, I know just on social media in general and in news stories and all that, we've talked about it before, uh, stories that, you know, they do feel good to hear about someone with a disability being successful um, or whatever that topic is. Right. But I think there's a way to do it well. And there's a way that is a little more self-serving to the messenger or the um you know, the content creator versus the person with a disability. So TikTok has a weird algorithm where if you like a video, it shows you more videos with those hashtags in it. So if you see a video of a soldier surprising his brother on his return and you hit like, then everything that they've got hashtagged on there, they show up more into your uh, For You page. So you'll get more of those and more family surprises. But if you see a a video of somebody doing something else, you'll get those as well. And the Inspiro porn part of TikTok is that you've got a lot of these content creators uh, that'll post something. They'll be like, oh, my brother who has Down syndrome wanted to make a video. And they'll have their brother standing there trying to do the TikTok dance. Or, you know, they will be like, oh, my friend with autism wanted me to show you her nails. And then they'll show them painting their nails together. And it comes off very icky. And actually, I don't get a lot of Inspiro porn on my feed because every time I see it, I don't like it. So I don't get more of it. Mm-hmm. Does that now, make sense? Okay, question though. Yes. This is a topic. Okay. Yeah. What, if... If it is truly someone's sibling who says, I want to make this video. True. I, I don't uh, ugh, I don't know. I have a hard time. I, have a I hard haven't time. seen the videos, so I feel like if there's some that are obvious that they're inappropriate. But it, It's not that they're inappropriate. It just, it comes off to me, and, I, and it, like, it comes off to me very, ugh. Because, like, it's not like it's my it's so weird because there's like the TikTok dance where you put your hand on your left shoulder, your right shoulder, and you go up and then left, right, whatever. And it's the I, the I don't know the strange that I really want you to do it for us. I and did it last it up week, guys. I did it last week. We don't page. have a speech science TikTok, so I'm not doing oh, it. Oh, we can put it on other social media. <laughs> but Is it, isn't TikTok getting banned anyway? No, it'll be fine. But. <laughs> It's too it makes too much money. It's not going to get banned. Let's be realistic. Well, there's already a t- uh, a a TikTok thing on Instagram now. Oh, so there's well, a thing. There's a thing called Instagram Reels. So everything that everything that TikTok was is now on Instagram. TikTok is still TikTok, but 
I'm still weirded out because it's not like, oh, I sent you this article or this link of uh, this woman who is, her name is Charlotte. Uh, She is at George Mason University. She has Down syndrome and she makes her own videos. And you can tell that she set them up. She is the content creator. She is doing awesome things with it. It's these Inspiro porn accounts that are very weird, man. I do hate that term too. I'm with Mike. The more I say it, the more you don't like it. See, I like using it it as a term because it it shames the people. I feel like you say it a lot though, per sentence. Right. Like if we did if we did a language sample, instead of just saying it, you're saying that you're saying that word over and over. Well, talk about this content from the woman with down syndrome though because i i like her video you shared with us yes so actually i am going to play part of it so let me share it and we'll play the audio we'll play some of the audio here how do i share all right share screen share screen with sound all right so here we go this is charlotte uh her account is at ndss org and i believe she is who is she? She is the Community Outreach Associate at the National Down Syndrome uh, Society. Things about having Down Syndrome that don't make sense. Being paid minimum wage. I can't get married or I'll lose my health care and support. I can be denied an organ transplant just because someone thinks less of me. Tragedy like the death of Ethan Sales, who died because law enforcement officers aren't trained to work with people with Down syndrome or other disabilities. I love her. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty sweet. That's a good use of TikTok, and for someone with a disability, it's their own content. It's the Inspiro porn accounts that I really have a problem with. Yeah. So that's with, the SS pod two process this week. What were you saying, Mike? I'm going to say I'm with you on that. That was cool. That was great. I win. That was great. All you right. Know? If you have something, hashtag it up. SS pod shout out. SS pod due process. We would love to hear from you. You can also email speech science podcast at gmail.com or hashtag it. Hashtag SS pod 614-681-1798. Phone calls or text messages. All right, let's jump into the article, shall we? First article up is Out of the Asha Leader. It's a media spotlight on masks and communication. Uh, Francine Pearson is the author on this one. And have you guys run into any difficulty wearing masks and talking to people who, oh, I don't know, hard of hearing, deaf, need a lot of facial features, read lips? Because you can't do it in a mask. Yeah. So basically, yes. So for me, the, the biggest issue is with a, an apraxia student of mine who really like needs that visual model of my mouth and she just follows my mouth. So that's the biggest concern for me right now is, uh, is basically having that visual model of being able to, you know, there's so much of articulation and speech that's about placement and you can't see the placement of the articulators with the mask. So that I think that's more of where the plastic face shield comes in, but apparently there's been a lot of studies on the plastic face shield that it really doesn't do anything at all. Uh-uh. So, yeah. 
I think we're, I think this is a, a major issue. And Michelle, you worked with, with the deaf and hard of hearing population for, for a few years. Mm -hmm. Like how important is that, you know, just the, the lip reading and the facial response? Yeah. And I, I won't even say necessarily the lip reading part. I mean, there are people who are very good at it, but, um, I, I keep seeing it pop up of old coworkers of mine who are deaf or old students of mine who are young adults and adults now, you know, on social media and comments sharing about where they can get masks that are clear or where they can access or, you know, what, what they need or what things might make it easier for communication. And, and it's tough. It's a challenge for everybody. And I, I mean, I challenge our listeners and ourselves. If you think about, I don't know about you guys, Mike and Matt, but if I'm checking out at the grocery store and we both have masks on and we're very close to each other, even with the little plastic shield between us, and we're both going, I'm sorry, what'd you say? I'm sorry, what'd mm -hmm. you say? Because we're both wearing masks that this mask wearing you know, world we live in now, we're all realizing how much we rely a lot on nonverbal facial cues. And in a, with American Sign Language in particular, um, I mean, facial expression is a primary part of yes. it. I, I had this feeling the other day, like I'm a big smile nod kind of do the hey how are you like as i walk by somebody it's the ohio thing i don't really care how you're doing but i'm being nice and saying hey how are you and like you I don't realized... actually want a long answer you no i don't like to... i want to hear good you like as you're passing that is your recognition that i said hey and that is all we're doing or but my like, favorite is just saying, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? Nobody yep. answers the question. You just say it to each we other. We all know the answer is, I don't want to talk to you. But I've realized that with like my masks or my mask wearing, like I have no more smile. So I have to be like over the top smiley so that so my eyes. So your eyebrows and your eyes. Yeah, I'm like, hey, I'm smiling under here. And then have to even now it's like the, hey, how are you has to be even louder. So now it actually sounds like a greeting versus just like the polite Ohio way of going by somebody. I want some of our other listeners from other Midwestern states, too, because I think that's that's more than just an Ohio thing. But, <laughs> but you know what? Actually, we forgot to do it during the shout out, but also you know, we got listeners internationally. I would love to hear how you're doing that as well. Uh, crazy. We got people listening in Denmark, Hong Kong, Austria, Israel, Cambodia, Lebanon, Uruguay, Vietnam, Ireland. What are you guys doing with your masks? Shout out to our overseas listeners. Hey, uh, our third most popular country is Australia. And I've heard they've almost beaten COVID. So maybe they don't even wear masks over there anymore. No, they do. Oh, do they? Okay. They wore it all along. That's probably why they're doing <laughs> That's probably why it's almost Yeah, beat. exactly. So I posted about this on our Facebook page, and it's the app called iHear, E-Y-E-H-E-A-R, and it is like legit closed captioning uh, in real time. And I, had a, I have a patient, and they are profoundly deaf, and they use lip reading, like in addition to what they're hearing through their hearing aids and the first week and a half or two weeks of therapy, all of the therapists, we were just yelling as loud as we could. And guess what? 
when someone has no idea of the questions you're asking, they're getting them wrong. And on a cognitive screener, guess what happens? Anybody? I'm guessing you score lower. You score a lot there lower. You, you come off very unorientated. You don't know the right answer because you're not hearing it. So I found this app thanks to one of the Facebook groups and we started using it. And guess what my patient does not have? Cognitive, Cognitive deficits. deficits. Look deficits. at that. When they can hear what is happening or read the the answers or the, the question, I should say, they have the answer. Isn't it's that amazing? amazing. Look at that. Well, I, I screened them, you know, and I gave them the test and I gave them, I ended up giving them a RIPA as well. And it was like, repeat back five words. And, you know, it's like Apple table, penny house car. And they were like, apples, cars, video. How many more do you need? And I'm like, two. And they're like, kitchen, recliner. And you're like, yep, that's not right. <laughs> and then guessing yeah right and then like i'm using my eye here with them and i was like you know whatever and they're like hey it's gonna be really nice this weekend are you gonna go fishing with your boys like you did two weeks ago and i'm like huh <laughs> so your recall is good it was just <laughs> you had no idea what was going on yeah that's good that's a good one well go matt for finding a way to adapt your assessment for this patient well, sure. it's not I, it's not my assessment. It was just therapy. So now I, now I have to figure out if I can even use it during a test. Oh, true. But I mean, I guess adapt your, because I mean, oh, we yeah. all do mini assessments I got an award on our because, I, got, I got acknowledged for an award because of it, because I found a free app and emailed my team about it. So yeah, got a shout out. Wait. <laughs> all because it was free. But yeah, all because it was free. Yeah, if I had to pay for it, I wasn't going to do yeah. it. Yeah, but... if you suggest a paid <laughs> app, then you're going <laughs> to. But Man, I guess my question is, what do we do? I've heard clear face shields don't work because they're not N95 approved. When you when you say don't work, what do you mean? They're not N95-ish, so I guess the virus floats through the holes. I mean, N95 yeah. is the like ideal, from right, what I correct, understand, correct. right? The next mm -hmm. being the multiple-layer surgical mm -hmm. masks that surgeons wear. And the least helpful are those gaiters that everyone's wearing. Yeah, I think we talked about that study, mm -hmm. right? Was that mm -hmm. last week? Couple um, weeks ago, yeah. But there's, there's still a lot of baseball players wearing those during the games. Mm -hmm. The right. Gators, which is crazy. Disney yeah. is Disney has banned the Gators, by the way. Really? Disney update this week. <laughs> Thank you. That. I was waiting. Disney hadn't been mentioned this episode or last. If we put, I if I mention Disney, then I can use the Disney uh, <laughs> click thing when I post the episode, and it helps us get more listeners. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I realized I say fair enough a lot when you say things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, because fair, cause fair enough right. means Matt is talking and we don't know if it's right, wrong, or he's just gone off the yeah. deep end. But <laughs> just let know, him, man. just let him finish. Not worth. <laughs> These masks, man, I, I've lost my mind on doing therapy already. Yeah. Masks are really hard to do therapy. <laughs> but now my job in Kentucky, we were required to wear the mask and the shield. Oh, at really? All for therapy. And I Even if you had glasses? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Everybody. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my school has bought me a clear mask, so. 
And they were the reusable ones. Like we wiped them down with the mm-hmm. the special the purple wipes every from the purple container. <laughs> Take one minute of being wet. The, the hardcore killers. Remember. Yeah, but you have to wear gloves to use them. Oh yeah, right. Oh, let us know what are you doing with masks? Are how are you working on articulators or uh, facial features? Uh, SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, phone calls or texts 614-681-1798 or hashtag SSPod. Our second article coming up out of the Asha Leader as well is talking about the ethics of taking on private clients from a current job. I work in the schools and I can't tell you how many times I've heard, hey, what are you doing this summer? Can you work with my student? A lot of conflict of interest in this situation. But first, I thought I would throw it out to the only private practice owner of the group. Mike, how do you get your private practice clients? Like in a nut, like uh, a thousand foot view, not like the nitty gritty details. Yeah. So um, the easiest way to say that would be number one, like the most of the private clients come from just word of mouth, uh, just families talking to their friends and families about services. So that's the number one thing where, you know, most people call me and say, hey, I talked to this person who I'm related to or I'm friends with. That's one thing. The second is just Google, just being there on Google, like families type in speech therapy near me and are able to find me. So it's pretty much those are the two main things. Uh, In terms of this article right here, in terms of conflicts of interest and kind of uh, taking students, taking clients from one area of employment into the next uh basically you doing that without informing someone that you're doing it it is unethical like that's pretty much one basic way to say it you know like that's you know that you think of other people in our in the medical field uh you know doctors make referrals they have communication you know kind of just you know working with a student in the school and then taking them on as a private client in, I think that that can easily be done through a very basic conversation with your supervisor, special ed director, whoever it may be. As long as you have the paper trail there that you let it be known, or you have that conversation, go out of, out of your way, have the integrity to do the right thing. But in terms of taking someone from like, say, say you worked with someone at a, at someone else's private practice, and then you, you work with that student for your own private practice, you take them for your own practice or you saw them in a school and then you take them, you know, it's, and, and things are so up in the air now with COVID and teletherapy that the, the lines are blurred even further, but you know, there's, I've always said there's so many people that can benefit, benefit from our services out there. There's always going to be a massive, massive need, whether we're fully appreciated or not is another conversation, but, uh, but in terms of overall, uh, the ethics of taking on private students. Uh, yes. If you do not let it be known and you do it secretly, that is unethical and that is wrong. Um, I'm not saying you should get your license taken away or anything like that. I think that's, that's very, that's, uh, that's a lot, but just in general, um, just always have that conversation first and you can, you can anonymously call the ASHA hotline. There's so many things you can do just to make sure you're doing the right thing. Uh, but whatever it is, do something. Don't just do it secretly. 
Michelle, it mentions in here non-compete clauses. Have you ever had a non-compete clause? I have. Uh, when I worked for a, a privately owned clinic in Texas, um, part of our, our sign-on contract said within, I think it was um, a timeline um, within so many, so many miles uh, and a distance within so many miles oh, really? and within a year of working there. Um, so meaning like if I saw a patient, I would not be able to two months late, like leave that later, see them Mm -hmm. with my own private practice. Um, now I've also heard, I mean, I know other professions are a lot more strict than speech pathology. You know, I had a doctor friend who talked about their non-compete clause, um, with a new job was so many miles as the crow flies. So talk about a a major radius that if you left that job within X number of years after it, you can't treat within so many miles. Yeah. I've always get it around with like the school stuff. And I like in the article that talks about the three types of of violations or, or conflicts of interest. There's the real conflict, a perceived conflict and a potential. Yeah, the not, real conflict, not violations, but like breaking yeah. down a description of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a real conflict appear, occurs when an employee starts or works part-time that provides similar services to the client, similar to their full-time employer. Perceived is when it could reasonably be perceived or give the appearance that a competing interest could influence the performance of your official duties. And a potential is uh, that there may represent a conflict, but the employer allows it. When I am questioned by other Ohio SLPs about this, I always tell them, like, when it looks at the IEP, especially in the school system, that if it looks like you could potentially have underserved them purposely so that they would need additional therapy outside of the school system and pay you, that is an ethics violation and a conflict of interest. I think that would definitely be true. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. have, I mean, I don't think this quite fits what you're saying, but yeah, um, I did have a couple kids who I saw in the school setting who then I ended up treating at a camp type setting that summer, like a summer job that I had um, where their families were there. But that to me is a little different as well, because that's true. Two different employers and they signed up on their own. And like, What's the odds of somebody from your school district being in that? Well, or given I worked at a special needs school, it kind of narrowed it down. Oh, but, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. weird. I don't know. Nope. Conflicts of interest are tough, man. That's why I work with adults for home care and children for my school job, so that there is mm-hmm. no potential at all. Well, I think the biggest thing Mike touched on is is to be transparent. You know, exactly. if you have something that makes you think, "Ooh, is this okay?" Talk uh-huh. to somebody about it. Talk to your supervisor. Talk to the therapy manager. Talk to um, call Ash's helpline. I've done that before. Have uh, you really? Has their, that helped their ethics line? Like, Has that, have they helped you? Yeah, they and oh. she got back to me. You know, we talked multiple times. Kind of talked through some of my options and what, you know, what I should look at doing and what to make sure I did or did not do. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Have you called the ethics hotline? Are you in ethics violation or conflict of interest? 
We don't want to know about that. But call if you think somebody else is. Let us know. 614-681-1798 or email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Coming up after the break, the informed SLP talks about uh, recovery following a traumatic brain injury. But before that, Michelle, your interview with the U.S. uh, Uniformed Health Services? Yeah, the United States Public Health Service. So you're listening to Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Did you know that there are speech-language pathologists across the country serving in uniform? You might be thinking Army, Air Force, or Navy, but I'm actually talking about something called the United States Public Health Service Commissioned Officers. And today, I'm Michelle Wintering, and on our speech science interview today, you will hear from SLPs working and serving as part of the United States Public Health Service. Today is part one of the interview, and I have a panel of SLPs for you tonight located across the country. The SLPs you are hearing from are all certified and trained SLPs, so triple C SLP, but currently work in what's called non-clinical billets, so not direct therapy service providers. I'll let you hear from them about what they do. So, um, Lieutenant Commander Chase, if you could introduce yourself. Yes, my name is Lieutenant Commander Carla Chase. I'm a speech pathologist, and um, I work at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and I've been um, in Baltimore for a little bit over eight months. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Commander Trombley? Yes, my name is uh, Commander Dean Trombley. Uh, I've been a speech pathologist since 2000, um, and I have been in public health service since 2005. Uh, I currently work for the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response in the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington, D.C., where I am a logistics specialist. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Commander Davies, could you introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. My name is Commander Kathleen Davies, and I have been a speech-language pathologist since uh, 1997, and I currently work as the Senior Policy Advisor for the Division of State HIV-AIDS Programs at the Health Resources and Services Administration, which we call HRSA, in Rockville, Maryland. Thank you very much. And Captain Baker Bartlett? Yes. Hi, my name is Captain Michelle Baker Bartlett. I've been a speech language pathologist for 29 years. 
I've been in the Commission Corps for about 13 and a half years, and I also work for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid as the Regional Administrator for CMS New York, and I've been there about 18 months. And Captain uh, Benitez McCrary. Hi, my name is M Captain Mercedes Benitez McCrary, and I'm proud to say I've been a speech pathologist for 41 years. I serve as the senior advisor at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, and I also serve as the chief therapist for the United States Public Health Service commissioned officers, um, and it's a four-year term. Thank well, it, it is an honor to have you all on. And for those listening, um, we pre-record our interviews and uh, we've had our, even though we're all communication experts, have had our, our share this evening of trying to get a record number of um, people on the same interview <laughs> right now. So I thank you all for your patience. Uh, so we'll kind of dive right in. I know that myself included, um, until just recently in the last couple of years, I learned of the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. So um, I would really love to hear from you all. Um, I know some of these questions may seem simple, but a lot of people aren't familiar with who you are and what you do, even though you're a speech language pathologist. Um, so if you can let us know, first off, what is the United States Public Health Service Commissioned Officers. This is Commander Davies. I'll get I'll get started and people can join in. Um, the Commission Corps of the United States Public Health Service, we are a team of a, a little bit more than 6,000 full-time um, officers, all with a uh, public health or health service background. We uh, fill essential public health leadership and service roles um, around the country. We are out of the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, and we serve under the Surgeon General of the United States. So um, one thing that people don't realize is that we are one of the United States Uniformed Services. Um, you've mentioned Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Um, we are actually one of the seven, actually there's eight services now, so one of the eight uh, Uniformed Services of the United States. Um, we serve in Health and Human Services, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, some things that you've heard about, um, which are all HHH, HHS agencies. But we also provide clinical work at the Bureau of Prisons, at the Indian Health Services, and at, with a lot of the uh, Department of Defense um, sites. So we are spread around the country and sometimes around the world. Anybody else want to share? This is Captain Michelle Baker Bartlett. I also would like to, I think, which is really important, is what the mission of the Commission Corps is. And the mission is to protect, promote, and advance the health and safety of the nation. Um, and it falls right in line with what the core values of the Corps would be, which is also leadership, service, integrity, and excellence. Um, so. And please feel free to jump in. I, I like how you're introducing yourselves with, like I said, a record number on our interview panel. Um, how, how does it, how does your job when in, in a uniform service as a speech pathologist differ from the everyday SLP? I'd like to say this is Captain Benitez McCrary. I think it's important to note that speech and language pathologists complete a great amount of training to demonstrate competence in our ability to treat patients. 
However, to become a commissioned officer, you have to meet additional challenges. So you cannot join the U.S. Public Health Service commissioned officers. You have to be commissioned just like the other six sister services. And it's a long process, not too long, but it's well worth it. You have to have credentials as we have triple C's. And there are other aspects that are required, including age, health, physical fitness, and uh, competence to react in an emergency situation. We are required to deploy to uh, continental and non-continental emergencies. Um, and so you you mentioned there, I know that you are a uniformed service. Is there a military training and you mentioned fitness component involved in your role? Commander Trombley, you want to take that one? Absolutely. Uh, yes, there is. Uh, there's actually an officer basic course that is the introduction into the public health service. Uh, goes through everything from history of the public health service all the way through to customs and courtesies, how to salute, how to wear a uniform, those such things. Uh, and also basic readiness to prepare people to deploy. Uh, as Captain Benitez McCurry said, we do deploy and have deployed and continue to deploy. Uh, and more specifically now with the coronavirus, we have uh, PHS officers across the United States that are deploying to DOD sites to help with uh, bringing in uh, U.S. citizens who are returning back to the U.S. and also PHS officers that are in Japan at this time and other countries that are uh, arranging for uh, the return or the repatriation of U.S. citizens back to the U.S. And HHS is basically responsible for any of those that are need to be quarantined or or need to uh, you know any medical care. So our PHS officers serve in those in those uh, positions as well. So we have the basic training and then and then like I say the additional training that we're required to take and and the readiness that we're required to maintain as uh, commissioned officers to be able to uh, uh, provide the necessary necessary response capabilities. Uh, that is required for health and human services. I, uh, listening to you answer, um, I was realizing I think I could interview each one of you for one of our episodes just to learn about how unique some of your positions and experiences are. Um, but I would love to run down and have each of you a chance to speak. I know that it could be a whole interview itself, but what led you to join the United States Public Health Service? So, um, Dean Trombley, if we could start with you. Um, actually, I'm a prior service Navy, Army, and back to Navy. Uh, I was a Navy corpsman and an Army medic. Uh, I had learned about public health service uh, while my son was receiving uh, in-home therapy from a speech pathologist and uh, had tried different physical therapy, nursing, and as a corpsman and, a, and as a medic, I was used to a little bit of autom- autonomy with what I do and uh, the ability to make decisions. And none of these professions provided that for me. And then when the speech pathologist said, we diagnose and treat, and I I said, that was enough for me. Where do I go to learn how to do this? Because (laughs) the full autonomy of a speech pathologist to be able to diagnose and treat patients without the need for a PA, an MP, a doctor, or anybody else to to provide the, you know, the... (laughs) 
prescription for me to do my job was absolutely what I what I wanted to do. So uh, I went to uh, uh, Plattsburgh State University of New York and graduated there. Uh, went out to um, went out to uh, Gallup, New Mexico. Worked with the Navajo uh, people in Gallup McKinnon County Schools, and then uh, just by chance, I was flying uh, with the Air Force doing air reconnaissance stuff with them. And one of the pilots was a public health service officer. He told me about public health service, and I had no clue what he was talking about. Again, I knew Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard. Had never heard of public health service before. He told me how to apply for it, and I applied a year or so later. I received the application for my uh, acceptance of commission. I sent that off. And then in 2000, August of 2005, was accepted into the Corps, received my commission. And since that time, I've been, I've been working, starting out with Indian Health Service in Chinle, Arizona, in the middle of the Navajo Reservation, uh, then moved to D.C. to work in different agencies and, and uh, aspects of, uh, of HHS. And then I also maintain a private practice that I do with uh, working with uh, DOD, uh, people with TBI and post-traumatic stress, and also working with their families to understand uh, just a little more background. I actually, in 98, suffered a traumatic brain injury, so I can relate a little bit more with that that spectrum of, of patients and clients. So that's what I kind of do with them as well, just to give them a relation of how it affects my myself and my family. So again, it was kind of a natural fit for me. Wonderful, thank you. And uh, Commander Davies, how about you? So much like Commander Tomley, I had never heard of the public health service. I had been working out in the field as a speech pathologist for about 17 years, um, working in hospitals and uh, skilled nursing facilities and actually working as a rehab director in a, a nursing home administration. And I so happened to run into a speech pathologist who is assigned to the public health service who is on the phone call. And um, she, you know, we got into a conversation. I talked a little bit about my background. I, I specialize in, in brain injury. And she was like, you know, have you ever heard of the public health service? I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the more she talked about it, I said, you know, that speaks to what I like to do. I like to work with underserved populations like to work with people who need somebody to be a voice for them. I think that's why I became a speech pathologist. I was always working with people with TBI or people with dementia and that, you know, somebody who needs somebody to champion for them. And it seemed like the mission of the, of the Commission Corps spoke to why I wanted to be a speech therapist in the first place and um, called around to some other people that I knew who also I found out were part of the Commission Corps. And um, they told me more about the service and um, actually, so two of my biggest mentors are on the phone call right now um, and really helped me understand all the, the benefits of helping people um, serve the underserved populations. So I applied and about, about a year and a half later, I received my commission and went to work um, with the Department of Defense in the um, Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury. And I was with them for about five years before um, switching over to HRSA. Um, and I cannot speak enough about the amazing opportunities that you get from working with the Corps and the um, working with the sister services. One of the things at, uh, with the DOD is working to develop traumatic brain injury 
materials with Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard, and, and really getting to, to help people who have served the country um, was the best thing, best decision I've ever made. Thank you very much. How about you, Captain Baker Bartlett? Uh, let's see. Uh, I, too, was introduced to the Commission Corps, actually, by uh, Captain Benitez McCrary back in 2002. Um, but it was not until 2005 when Hurricane Katrina happened, and I watching the television like many others and felt compelled that I wanted to do something to, to help people um, in kind of more of a broader healthcare capacity. At, at the time, I was um, a regional manager for a national uh, rehabilitation company. And so it wasn't until 2000, as I said, 2005, that I actually reached out to her and, and, and inquired and she said, uh, you know, two days, give me a call back when she looked through the packet that she had sent me like four years prior. And then literally two days later, I had already filled out the, the, the application <laughs> and then submitted and submitted it. Um, and then weeks after I was the job that I was with, we were at a college at one of their college fairs and I was taking a break from the table. And I decided to do a walk around and walked around and the public health service had a table at the college. And I just kind of introduced myself and said, I'm here as a vendor, just like you. However, I just applied to the United States Public Health Service a few weeks ago and uh, met with another captain at the time. And, and, and was, she was instrumental um, in me securing my first job, which was back in 2006 when I was commissioned. I started my career off at the Federal Bureau of Prisons in upstate New York. And uh, after that, I remained with the Bureau of Prisons and uh, with a position in New Jersey. Um, and that followed up by a position, uh, all three, as uh, a management position as a health services administrator, which deviated a little bit from uh, my uh, role as a speech language pathologist, but I was able to use um, those skills in that job as well um, in Philly. And so uh, then 2018 is when I um, uh, transferred over to or was stationed at uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid uh, in uh, another position, which was the deputy position that I was in prior and now as the regional administrator. And so I must also say, uh, as Captain Davey said, it was one of the best career uh, decisions that I have ever made. I've been exceedingly happy um, since I've been in the Corps and have been able to uh, find out that I have a lot of other skills than I just even thought that I had as a speech pathologist that have blossomed into other uh, career opportunities. Thank you so much. And um, just to clarify, because I, I know I'm, I'm not familiar with it either, and I'm sure many of our listeners, but you mentioned a deputy position. What does that mean? I was, when I first came to CMS, I was the deputy regional administrator, and now I'm the regional administrator. Lieutenant Commander Chase. I actually was also prior military, I was in the Army, and I um, was working as a speech pathologist in traumatic brain injury clinics, and I was stationed in Hawaii um, when I found out that the Army was um, no longer going to have my occupation as a speech pathologist as an option for me to stay in the Army. So... 
instead of resigning my commission, so I was the commissioned officer, but instead of resigning my commission, when I found out about public health, um, the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps, I applied to the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. I applied to the Air Force. I applied to the Navy because I didn't want to resign my commission. And I got accepted um, mm -hmm. and got commissioned in the United States Public Health Service in 2010. So I spent 10 years in the Army as a reservist, deployed twice with them um, during Operation Iraqi Freedom and Enduring Freedom. And I worked in speech pathology clinics. I was in a medical support unit then. But I had the, have had wonderful opportunities and moved to several different locations, stationed in Hawaii, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Kentucky. So I've had a lot of great opportunities with the United States Public Health Service. And um, I would say I was so thankful that I didn't have to resign my commission. So it was um, it was a, a joy to find that out, that, that that was an opportunity for me to transfer, or transfer over. So. Thank you. And I believe um, Captain Benitez McCrary. Hi, I'm here. I'm I'm last. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> oh no, no, it's fine. I have uh, my story is totally different. I think my officers might not know this. I was one of the first COSTEP scholarship recipients for the United States Public Health Service commissioned officers. Uh, I was one of eight therapists, and of those therapists, there were four audiologists and four speech pathologists that were awarded a full scholarship to finish my graduate studies. So because I accepted that generosity, uh, they still have that scholarship now, and you reimburse the commissioned officers. Uh, you become a commissioned officer, and you sign up to pay back your duty time. It was the best decision I've ever made. I started as a lieutenant junior grade in 1978. I was commissioned um, and I completed my tenure and then I left the Corps for 23 years and I became a professor at the College of Medicine at Howard University and a graduate professor in speech pathology at um, Howard University and um, lectured at other universities. But I was serving on a panel for the Surgeon General when she said you should be recommissioned. So I, you know, opened my application. I was granted the rank of Lieutenant Commander, um, and I was a commissioned officer again. Little be known to myself, or not planning, I was awarded several ranks and awards. And uh, I competed for the position of the chief therapist. Um, I was awarded that um, rank and position by Surgeon General uh, Murphy in 2016, and that's a four-year tenure. Tenure. It's extremely prestigious. Um, I've learned about every one of my officers, and under my tenure, the speech and language pathologists have doubled in number. We have published articles, so our visibility is high, and uh, we continue to do work, and we're hoping to be present at ASHA this year to bring specific responses to the many questions that our colleagues, I'm sure, have. So um, 
I am now commissioned for 22 years plus, and that's minus the 10 year, you know, time I left. And congratulations on the growth that you've seen under your uh, your current position. Yeah, that's my commissioned officer's position, but I also am stationed at Medicare, where we um, designed and implemented the in a Healthcare Innovation Act, known in the general public as the Obamacare. I'm a senior advisor on the innovative grant opportunities, and I also served as a project manager, and I train other uh, civilian and military personnel on how to manage these awards. Um, so that, I mean, comment there that I'm catching from so many of you is that this was one of the best decisions you made. And um, I would really like to hear, I'll open it to anyone who would like to share, but what what is your favorite part of this job of being in uniform and a speech language pathologist? This is Lieutenant Commander Chase. I would say the, the opportunity to serve because you can serve in so many different capacities, not just um, clinically, but also from a, an administrative standpoint, like Captain Benitez McCrary was saying, she works on task force to write policies, and you can serve in so many different capacities um, that you're helping so much of the general public and the general population. And you don't necessarily know how, what type of impact it is until later, but while you're in the middle of doing it, you may not understand, like, just how many people you will impact at that time, but it's a great feeling after everything goes through clearance and everything is published out and out in the public. You know that you had a hand in writing those um, rules and regulations and policies to drive um, health care and better health care and evidence-based care for the population. So that's what I love about being in uniform and being a speech pathologist together. Thank you. So this is Commander Davis. I would add a little bit um, to everything that Lieutenant Commander Chase said. I'd echo it, first of all. I think the opportunity to grow, not only as a, as a speech pathologist, but to grow as a person um, within the Corps is, is huge. Um, I've had the pleasure of, this, of deploying a couple times um, and working with other officers, seeing that you know, um, that commitment and, and the passion to going and helping people that are in crisis and helping them get back on their feet. Um, you know, it, it's harder because you're away from your family, but it's, it's an amazing feeling to, to know that there's this huge group of people that, that are all striving for the same thing of helping others and, and just serving selflessly. Um, and I, I think the, what Lieutenant Commander Chase touched on a little bit too is that the idea of working at a federal level. I, I love patient care. I've missed patient care. Um, you know, I always said I, I was a very good, I'm a very good clinical speech pathologist. I love treating patients, but there's something wonderful about, you know, developing a product or, or putting together a presentation or, you know, um, that, that goes out across the country, you know, and, and because it's federal, my name's not on it. Nobody's name is on it. it. It belongs to the people. It belongs to the government. But it's it's so rewarding to know the ability to touch so many more lives because you're you're at a federal level um, is really pretty awesome and pretty just amazing. 
Thank you for that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just so curious. I, I wish I could talk to all of you for uh, 45 minutes each, but um, anyone else want to add to that before I jump to the next question? This is Captain Michelle Baker-Bartlett. One of the things I'd like to say, I think that what's really special about the Commission Corps is that it's the only all-officer corps of healthcare professionals in in the world, I believe. And and so that is really significant. I mean, when you look at the, our sister um, uniform services, they all have their unique missions. Um, but when you look at what our mission is, which I stated a little bit earlier, and recognize that we're comprised of all healthcare professionals, and that's, I think that is, is huge because we get an opportunity to where you think, okay, we're a speech pathologist, we'll be in a hospital setting, or we'll be, you know, in a, in a skilled nursing facility or in a clinic, and we're providing care. When you look at the opportunities when it comes to deployment and utilizing those skills, but also as an adjunct, you can use other administrative skills that you have. You can use, you start to use case management skills to resources in the community when you um, deploy and you have to help people who are vulnerable and who've just perhaps um, had to deal with a significant, significant, uh, perhaps natural disaster. Um, but just being able to, to, to utilize your skills as a therapist, but broaden those um, brings a certain sense of pride that uh, I think it's hard pressed to find in a lot, lot of other um, venues or avenues, whether it's governmental or in the private sector. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm, I'm going to wrap up here pretty soon for us because I know we actually have a second part of this interview um, that our audience will be hearing. But we have a, um, a large audience, hundreds of SLPs who listen to our podcast. And I want to ask you, if you all can chime in, um, what do you want them to know? So many people just you all even said that you didn't know until you met that certain person or at a conference or um, ran into them through family therapies as well um, about the, you know, about the United States Public Health Service Commission Officer Corps. Um, what do you want our listeners to know? Where can they go to find more info and, and what's the biggest takeaway? Um, if I can just give you a brief, short um, contact. The public health service is open now. We are recruiting therapists. You need to go online, U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps, and complete the screening. However, we are filling hard-to-fill positions in the Indian Health Nation and the Bureau of Prisons. There are possibilities of working in administration as well, and they're looked at by our appointment boards and by the chief professional officer or the chief therapist. There is so much information now on the site. We have people that you will be referred to to answer questions. So the first thing I would say is go online and fill out the screening form and see if you meet the qualifications. There's about six, and then we'll move your application through the process. This is, a, this is Dean Trombley. I, I wanted to also say that of of all the other our sister services, we are the only uniform service that does com currently commission PHS officers. <clears throat> our speech pathologists as PHS officers or as commissioned officers. We also are the only service that serves every one of our sister services. 
So it doesn't matter if we're working in the DOD hospital or where we're working with, we, we support all of the other sister services and we're really the only uniform service that does have that, that service to each of the other services. And I think that that's a big thing when we look at the overall mission of, of all of our sister services, our job is, again, as, as Captain Baker said, is really to make sure that we are uh, there and available to provide the necessary specialty to support medical uh, missions, not only here in the United States, but also internationally. And, and again, I think that that's one of the biggest things that, that drives me is that ability to consistently grow in our mission, in our capabilities to, to make the larger impact that we possibly can. But I would have to say my favorite uh, part of the Commission Corps was working for Indian Health Service in uh, Chinle, Arizona as a medical speech language pathologist working on the reservation. That's probably the best job that I ever had in uniform and I would highly recommend anybody who's service oriented to start with with uh, service to, to uh, you know, the, the Indian Health Service. It was, again, one of my favorite uh, uh, places to serve. Thank you for sharing that. Um, well, let me just run down here very quickly. Um, Captain Benitez McCrary, Captain Baker Bartlett, Commander Davies, Commander Trombley, and Lieutenant Commander Chase, all uh, SLPs in the United States Public Health Service, commissioned their officers um, who joined us tonight. And I thank you all for your patience as we worked out the technology piece, but it was an honor and a joy to speak to you all. And I hope that maybe this informs some of the future commissioned officers of the United States Public Health Service. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. Will I be able to get back to XYZ after my traumatic brain injury or TBI? That's the question that clinicians and clients are trying to address as the end goal of therapy. Two studies elucidate the importance of metacognitive processing times, auditory processing, higher level language, and wearing headgear as critical factors that directly influence one's ability to return to activities of daily living for individuals with TBI. Researchers in this study investigated differences in metacognitive judgments when completing a cognitive task between individuals both with and without moderate to severe TBI. They found that, as shown with plenty of previous research, sustaining a TBI affects the efficiency of metacognitive processes. Though adults with TBI were able to make accurate judgments, they took significantly longer to arrive at those decisions compared to their healthy peers. On average, adults with TBI took one second longer to respond compared to a healthy peer when making judgments about a cognitive task. Another pertinent finding was that adults presenting with this delay in decision-making were also likely to perceive difficulty reintegrating into the community. So what if I take longer, asks your client. You'll want to give your client concrete examples of what metacognitive processes are and why certain ones would require fast processing. 
You could remind the client that delayed reaction times may jeopardize their safety and well-being in situations when time-sensitive judgments are required to control and guide behavior, bank driving. So when thinking of community reintegration, one must think about the activities that would be directly affected by slowed reaction times. The authors assert that one plausible explanation for an increase in decision-making times relates to executive function impairments. Arriving at a judgment or decision entails integration of several cognitive processes simultaneously, like remembering the goal of the task, reflecting upon all possible responses, selecting a response that matches the goal, etc. It is this ability to engage in simultaneous processing that is commonly impaired in individuals with TBI, secondary to deficits in working memory and executive function. The second article we reviewed examined whether auditory processing and higher level language skills would affect reintegration into civilian life for U.S. veterans that sustained a mild TBI due to exposure to blasts. Researchers found that U.S. veterans exposed to blasts present with greater difficulty on tasks of inferencing, ambiguity, figurative language, and complex sentence comprehension compared to veterans with TBI that were not exposed to blasts. These deficits were magnified in those veterans who were not wearing protective headgear at the time of exposure to the blast. A more practical implication of this finding is that veterans with TBI might face difficulties with social communication in personal and professional settings. Factors that would negatively affect social communication include difficulty with 1. Integrating context and content to draw inferences and logical conclusions. 2. Interpreting ambiguous statements and figurative language. 3. Listening in background noise. and 4. Comprehending rapid speech. So, when evaluating an individual with TBI, think about incorporating these elements into your assessment routine. First, include measures of metacognitive reaction time. Chu et al. in 2019 used a facial recognition judgment paradigm to examine metacognition. Participants were presented with 15 faces repeatedly across four trials. Following a brief delay, they were then shown 30 faces and asked to recognize which stimuli were from the set presented. Following each one of the recognition items, participants were asked to report on the degree of confidence they felt about their response being correct using a Likert scale. One was unconfident, two was somewhat unconfident, three was somewhat confident, and four was confident. Other studies have used an error monitoring paradigm, such as the go or no-go task. Look at our hard copy review for hyperlinks for another study for an example of error monitoring paradigm. Secondly, you can educate clients about the importance of using protective gear. Researchers found that the helmeted group with the blast exposure performed better on higher level language tasks than the group that was unprotected at the time of exposure. Third, determine the severity and contextual details related to the injury to anticipate cognitive domains that may be affected. Consider time post and severity of injury. Fourth, incorporate discussions regarding goals or expectations about returning to the community. Researchers used the Community Integration Questionnaire, which is free by the way, to determine self-perceptions about returning to community activities. Fifth, assess audiological and higher level language abilities. Include the audiologist in the care team and consider including standardized measures of auditory processing 
and higher level language abilities such as inferencing and comprehending figurative, abstract, and ambiguous language. The authors here use the SCAN-3, the Comprehensive Assessment of Spoken Language, and the Clinical Evaluation of Language Fundamentals, 5th edition. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome back to Speech Science episode number 100. Wow. Episode 123. I have to slow down. My name is Matt Hot. Joined, as always, the wonderful Mike McLeod. What's up, buddy? The amazing Michelle Wintering. I'm liking these adjectives. Hi. And the spectacular yeah. you, the listener, in your car, in your client, in, in with your client listening to Speech Science. You are spectacular. Did that make you feel better? I hope it did. You're a great hype man, dude. I would lo- so growing up, I didn't. Wa- I liked wrestling. I never wanted to be the wrestler. I wanted to be the dude on the microphone for the wrestler. You could do that, <laughs> like the like the Paul Heyman kind of thing. Paul Heyman, Jimmy Hart, also Bischoff. in grad, like yeah, Eric Bischoff. When I was <laughs> just finishing up grad school, uh, Jason Derulo was Jason Derulo. And do you know what Jason Derulo does at the beginning of every song? He says his name. He says his name. <laughs> I want to do that when I walk into a therapy room or an IEP meeting and be like, Matt Hot. Jason Derulo. Yeah. Matt <laughs> Hot. And just see what people would do. It would be so weird. Be awesome. <laughs> do you want your name shout out on the Speech Science Podcast? Speech Science Podcast at gmail.com. Or hashtag SSPod six one four or six eight one one seven nine eight. We'll sing your name like Jason Debrillo. Michelle and Michael will do it in harmony. Will we? No, you won't. Hey, so every week we look at what is Asha doing that might be good because we can throw a stick and hit all the things that Asha is not doing correctly, but they're trying, and they are a national association representing. A ton of people. What they are doing good, and I have to say this as I use this all the time, uh, they have their 2020-2021 school year SLP resources for physical and virtual school reopenings. Uh, So the link is up for both SLPs and school-based audiologists, but it's awesome. Uh, Two different areas. They've got checklists for school-based telepractice. Uh, let's see the state by state tracking of school reopenings, the ASHA advocacy position on reopening, uh, what to consider for assessment via telepractice, uh, updated mask recommendations. We probably should have linked at that one earlier, uh, workload calculator. Oh, a, a workload calculator based off of COVID-19 and telepractice. So I'm interested in that. I need to look at that one because are we talking... I wonder if it takes into account time for PPE changes and just increased cleaning. Uh, I am opening it right now. It is an Excel document. The anticipation is palpable. palpable. Is that the word? Yes, it is. All right. So it is palpable. Indirect services. You've got your analyzing of the environment. 
the let's see conduct sound system con consulting lesson plans training teachers uh, gen ed setting compliance to support federal and state oh this is a really nice one actually no it does not does not have a but it has an area where you can add it in though huh that is really cool so there we go you should link to that map oh wait oh i i downloaded the wrong one i'm going to link to that one hang on downloading the asha covid calendar it's a little bit different and covid all right oh michelle you're it does it has a area for sanitizing and disinfecting materials and workspace. Because I, I think that's uh, a friend of mine who takes her children in another state to speech pathology. Uh, speech pathologist was talking about her concern with the session keeps being kind of pushed back and uh, like shortened. You know, they're mm -hmm. being taken late. They're being returned to the parent earlier than the end of it, which a lot of us do so that we can talk to the parent, do a home program, that kind of thing. Um, and I was curious if part of that reason, which I think that's on the therapist and the clinic owners to, to inform parents, but especially now in this COVID world, you know, there, there needs to be more of a buffer between patients for the, for the sanitation. So I just shared it with you guys and I'll link it, but I like this. Uh, so if you're familiar with the old workload calculator, it was like uh, prep the room, print out materials. Number one, how many minutes a day are you reviewing the U.S. Department of Education guidance relevant to FERPA and HIPAA? Per day? Per day. Have you ever done a workload calculator? Not the per day. Like yeah, not, not, not I'm one not that's reviewing this that per day. Uh, how often are you reviewing Medicaid guidance applicable to telepractice? How many, how many times a day are you reading articles on telepractice? Are you reviewing the ASHA telepractice portal and evidence maps? But this, is like, this is like a flashback to filling out that thing when I finished my CFY. You know what, this though? Is, this, this is, is intense. This is actually, oh, maybe we should do a whole show on this one. But no, like verify you and the student have proper equipment, verify student info, scheduling, familiaring with the telepractice platform, plan breaks every few hours, sanitizing. This is I think for all the therapists awesome. listening who are going back to school this week, last week, next week, in this next month, this could be really useful talking to supervisors, principals, mm -hmm. special education directors, not just for speech pathologists, but for any therapist in the schools or special service providers. And also I think for SLPs working in clinics that often pack in therapy, therapy, yeah. like 30 minute sessions all day long. Because mm -hmm. it even has in here, it says uh, virtual sessions telepractice asynchronously so that's that store and forward idea hybrid instructional based phone calls and then also face-to-face -face therapy which is what we think of when we say right. speech therapy and then we've got a hundred other therapy. rows listed on this 
Holy calculator. So Medicaid billing. That one takes yeah. a while. Does it? For me, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. Depends on what system your school or mm, good point or um, location uses. I was told to be as so school-based Medicaid, be as general as possible while still telling the details of what you did. Okay. Because like, if you get real specific in your Medicaid billing, and it doesn't match up with your like therapy session notes or whatever, it could potentially be a conflict or a, a, a Medicaid fraud issue is what we were told. So let's say that you put in your, your thing that you specifically targeted voice output, but in your, uh, uh, in your therapy notes, you talk about voice output and also like self-discrimination of, of voice output it may not match up right and then they could say they're not going to pay for it hmm. wow. so like so like instead of saying we're going to put only voice output you might say working on oh i don't even I, i've been so far out of medicaid billing for six months now but it's something like worked on vocal something vocal things to be heard by others or something like that yeah i don't know Anywho's, let's wrap this show up. Mike, you went second the first time around, or third the first time around. You get to go first. What are you doing this week? Not therapy related. That is fun. Non therapy related. That is fun. That's a great question. Or that you're looking forward to. Maybe it's not fun, but you're looking forward to it. Um, I'm probably gonna. It's basically it's all therapy related. That's pretty much my entire week. <laughs> I'm probably gonna start getting more and more back into face-to-face -face sessions now. I'm probably gonna be doing some more in the clinic as opposed to teletherapy, so that's good. Um, yeah, I have a, a couple more evals to do, uh, and really right now it's just all prep for school reopening. You know, I work at a couple of schools that will be doing face-to-face -face and will not be virtual. So I just gotta really prep for that and make sure I'm doing everything on that list you just brought up. And, sanit and sanitizing and checking- Sanitizing. And, and doing everything and checking the guidelines every morning. So uh, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to download that list. Do you know how rich you would be if you bought stocks in like um, plastics? Like six months ago. Plastics. Plastics. We'd be rich. The plastic stock. Yeah. Oh no, what's the uh what's the plastic, the clear plastic? <laughs> I don't that know. That they're making all I'm having an aphasia moment right now where I can't come up with the word. It's the the clear barrier. What's that plastic called? Plastic? I don't know the what else you call plexiglass? it. Plexiglass. Plexiglass, thank oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I was having a word aphasia moment, and y'all are terrible therapists. I'm like, you. I'm like, it's the clear plastic that they use for barriers. I'm obviously struggling over here, and you guys are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't describe it very well. The clear plastic. Terrible it's, all, it's all clear. <laughs> Pla not this is made of plastic, and that is not clear. I'm holding up a, an automatic stamper. Thanks. Most plastic is clear. For anyone who can't see, which is everyone except <laughs> yeah, everyone. Mike and everyone Michelle. look. Everyone look. 
Michelle, what, what are you doing? Here's a podcast. Check out my stapler. <laughs> Michelle, what are you doing this week? <laughs> Unpacking the rest of my boxes. Hey, that could be good to look forward to. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to being a little more settled. That's fair. For me, I'm actually looking forward to getting back into the school district. I, it sounds so crazy, but I just wanted to get started because I feel like the longer we wait, and I, and I start back this week, um, but the longer we wait to start, the more that anticipation builds and the more the what if yeah. questions hit and oh my gosh, what do we do if? And I just want to get back in and I have an awesome team and I work with great other SLPs and teachers where... I just want to get back into that and and trade therapy ideas and trade strategies. I, I miss that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm excited for. We are also excited to hear from you, the listener at home. Always reach out to us. You can also, if you like it, support it. Go over to patreon.com slash speech science podcast, or you can write to us speech science podcast at gmail.com phone calls text messages 614-681-1798 or hashtag it up hashtag ss pod get those shout outs and due processes in or of course the discord discord.speechsciencepodcast.com our opening music tonight was please listen carefully by jazar it's licensed under an attribution and share alike license our bump music is the county fair rock copyrighted john deku Find his stuff over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. The informed SLP and our closing music are both licensed under a creative commons attribution license uh, at the count by broke for free played under the informed SLP. And our closing music is the slow burn by Kevin McLeod in the immortal words of Janice, Wright: Always be a willow. The Oak looks strong until it breaks under pressure. The willow will bend and return to form better than ever. For fellow Willows in Philadelphia, Mike McLeod in Kansas, Michelle Wintering here in Ohio. I'm Matt Hot. Until next week. So long, everybody. Bye. Bye. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.